Our dependence on connected technology is growing faster than our ability to secure it, especially in areas affecting public safety and human life. I'm Bryson Bort, and this is Hack the Plant. Electricity, finance, transportation, our water supply. We take these critical infrastructure systems for granted, but they're all becoming increasingly dependent on the internet to function. Every day, I ask and look for answers to the questions. Does our connectivity leave us more vulnerable to attacks by our enemies? I'm a senior fellow at the R Street Institute and the co-founder of the nonprofit ICS Village, educating people on critical infrastructure security with hands-on examples, not just nerd stuff. I founded Grimm in 2013, a consultancy that works the front lines of these problems every day for clients all over the world. It's playing out in Israel right now where hackers have been going after Israeli water systems. Again, not to steal information from them, but to change the setting on the chemicals in Israeli water. Each month, I'm going to walk you through my world of hackers, insiders, and government working on the front lines of cybersecurity and public safety to protect the systems you rely upon every day. If you think that the small town water authorities and the mom and pop size companies uh, have better cybersecurity in the US than the Israelis do, I have really, really bad news for you. An attack on our critical infrastructure, the degradation to the point that they can no longer support us means that we go back to the Stone Age literally overnight. If we think the government's gonna solve it for us, we're wrong, we have to help them. This is not a podcast for the faint of heart. If you want to meet those protecting the world and what problems keep them up at night, then this is the podcast for you. I'm Bryson Bort, and this is Hack the Plant. For today's episode, I'm joined by Daryl Hegley, the Director of Cyberspace Mission Assurance and Deterrence at the Department of Defense where he oversees cybersecurity efforts to secure control systems and operational technology. Daryl has 30 years of military, civilian, and commercial consulting experience. He now focuses on bringing awareness to the ever-increasing cyber threat to unprotected but connected OT devices. We're here to talk about the challenges of securing those OT systems. I think it was in January, the water company in Florida, they had somebody notice someone was trying to take control and, and modify the controls and the mixture within their system. The department has about 500 installations, 250,000 buildings, over 200,000 structures and another 200,000 linear structures. So we almost have to adopt the same kind of mentality for the folks who are making sure these systems work as to ensure they're secure. And that's been a challenge on what cyber requirements should we expect of the people who have been normally managing HVACs. We also discuss why cybersecurity for control systems in particular, not just for IT, is so important. So I think we're going to see, despite investments and despite technology, we're going to see some ransomware uh, on some of these critical infrastructure systems and I think people are going to get hurt. Things are going to stop operating. Things are going to explode. And there's going to be some serious 
consequences. And I think worse would be if it's not even malicious, right? If it's somebody went out to try and do something and thought they could scare somebody by coming close to creating chaos, but then it just kind of spills away because they don't understand the full breadth of the operation or what's involved with the engineering. What kind of public and private solutions do we need to prevent the worst case scenario? Join our discussion for an in-depth analysis. Okay, so Daryl, what's your background? How did you get into industrial control systems and cybersecurity? I started out, uh, I was in the Navy after college for 20 years and got into what was called uh, operation security and learned how to do some assessments of, you know, information we were freely giving out. Got out of that and then got in uh, uh, back into OSD after I retired into the Assistant Secretary of Defense for Energy Installations and Environment. And after uh, a year, they uh, had gotten reports that uh, thousands of smart meters were purchased uh, in the DOD, but then the IT people wouldn't let them on the network. And so, Daryl, go figure that out. Uh, I had no, I had no prior training in cybersecurity. Had uh, really no uh, insight or past to uh, control systems. Uh, and just kind of threw a working group together with DHS, DO, uh, with the Department of Energy, Homeland Security. Um, we had some of the labs uh, and a bunch of stakeholders from the Army, Navy, uh, Air Force, and Marines. And uh, we recognized right away that there were no policies in place. There were no you know common procedures in place, not a lot of information on on uh, threats or vulnerabilities, uh, DH uh, Department of Homeland Security was just getting started in publicizing information about uh, vulnerabilities in the space. So uh, that's kind of where I got started, and you know, just learned that there was a lot of things that uh, needed to get fixed, from uh, starting with policies and procedures, and working with industry to figure out the best way. Uh, to get a lot of this stuff solved. So that's really interesting because smart meters are something that are quite prevalent now. Uh, they're uh, at most residences uh, to help manage uh, electrical consumption and in some cases return to the grid. Uh, why did the IT teams freak out about putting those on DoD networks and how did you convince them and get past that? Congress had asked uh, the Department of Defense to start measuring their energy consumption because uh, we were a little bit behind. And again, this was around uh, you know, 2010, 2012. Uh, all, all the other government agencies were asked to measure their energy consumption and then look for ways to reduce it. And we were uh, you know, encouraged to buy meters because uh, on a lot of these bases, all we had was you know one meter at the front gate and all the energy uh, that was being consumed was coming around this meter and it's turning at the speed of sound and uh, we were just paying bills and not checking anything. So rightly so, we, we had to do a little bit of our own oversight. So you got you can't manage what you you don't measure, right? So uh, we started buying smart meters. Now the people to buy the smart meters. You know, we're the engineers who manage these systems, 
and uh, there was not a good communication between the traditional IT people and the uh, uh, control systems folks. Uh, even though those networks were separate, they still were not given uh, you know, permission to put them on. So it took uh, a couple years of educating both sides of the IT folks and the control system folks to show how you could cyber put some cybersecurity mechanisms on some of the meters. Uh, some of the meters, you know, you couldn't. They weren't designed to do that. They had um, uh, Bluetooth, uh, IR ports, you know, uh, USB uh, options. So uh, a lot of those were just thrown out, um, and and unfortunately, a lot were never used, and they're in the same building as the Ark of the Covenant right now. But eventually, if if the IT people were part of managing it, they they would start allowing those on there. Um, if they met through the DoD's uh, risk management framework uh, requirement, but still a lot of them, uh, you know, a lot of them still have just disabled the function of connectivity, and we go around with a clipboard and collect the data, and then we report it instead of having that information automated. We're, that is that problem has not been solved. Uh, that continues on today, especially uh, for four deployed uh, sites. So what is your current role and the scope of that within DOD? So about two years ago, I shifted to uh, from uh, the kind of an energy office focus to an OSD uh, policy office uh, uh, that was established by Congress in 2014 called the Office of the Principal Cyber Advisor. And that was set up so to kind of be the one place where Congress could go to find out how the department's doing, uh, uh, performance measures on U.S. Cybercom, and give advice to the secretary on cyber from everything from policy uh, to procedures, to workforce recommendations, intel support, and uh, essentially track implementation of the Department of Defense cyber strategy. So now within this office, uh, I work with about, uh, uh, about two dozen folks, and my role specifically is Director of Mission Assurance and Deterrence in Cyberspace and Control System Cybersecurity. So I look at the, the policies and processes and solutions to ensure that our uh, missions are able to go off without being impeded. Uh, that is, you know, looking at all the things that make up a mission and what a mission depends upon, uh, looking at what the uh, activities that we are doing that uh, denies, degrades, and uh, deters adversaries from continuing in, in, in certain places with cyberspace. We all agree that deterrence, as in the nuclear sense, is not possible uh, for cyber. Cyber is going to always continue. Uh, but can we uh, stop them from doing some of the real harm or bad things that we do not want them to do? And then I'm still continuing the role of uh, control system cybersecurity, uh, ensuring uh, that uh, all the uh, Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, and the agencies are making progress and investments in uh, 
doing inventories of the systems, uh, training their folks to learn how to manage them, um, and uh, working with industry and the other government uh, departments uh, to figure out how we best can work together. So going back to that original smart meter story, this is where you you first started to build that relationship with the IT security side of the, side of the house that says no and had to start to learn that control systems and how they work uh, have different requirements in the ways that they're going to do their thing. Uh, how have you navigated that to this point and how would you like to improve it? Well, what you... One of the first things I had to do was learn from uh, the system owners and operators what their environments were and what their day-to-day challenges were with regard to cybersecurity. And so that was really fun is I went to several buildings on different installations and uh, from medical buildings, logistics areas, uh, and, and regular facilities. Uh, and just talk to the folks who run those. So I got to learn what they do and that, you know, they manage these systems, these networks can or cannot be connected. Then I, uh, and then in a lot of these same places, I would try and talk to the IT people and try and learn, uh, you know, what their roles and responsibilities are, especially related to these systems. And consistently learned that there was just this complete, separation and that they the IT people were not responsible at all and uh, that is still fairly prevalent today it has taken years uh, to get policies in place to direct someone has to be in charge someone has to report the status of a control system network uh, and and somebody has to look at it from a cyber perspective. It's taken years to get uh, contract requirements to state that they need to have cybersecurity built in to these control systems. You know, there's uh, very standard processes in place if you're going to add some software onto your email network. Um, you know, there's places to test it. There's people who are certified have probably seen this before. Uh, that just does not exist in the control system space. Um, and we're learning every year as the uh, Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, and these agencies go out and uh, look at what they own and operate, what agreements they have, uh, learning uh, you know, where they're taking risk right now because they don't have anything. And they're just starting to make some small investments. So uh, I think there's a tremendous opportunity that's still uh, uh, open is to solidify whatever that partnership is going to be between the IT and the control system folks. Uh, Some places are more evolved than others. Uh, A lot of them, though, still have yet to even partner. Uh, One really good story is the... Uh, General Services Administration, they forced their CIO uh, to, to sit next to the kind of chief engineer. So uh, and so their offices were moved right next to each other. So as they moved forward and were trying to enact change and security across uh, you know their department, uh, they were kind of forced to work together. I think that's a good model. So there are DOD assets that depend on the private, excuse me, 
there are DOD assets that depend on the private sector. For example, there are community utilities that might be providing power to a post. Uh, how do you manage those relationships? Is that in scope for what you do? Uh, it is. Uh, uh, every installation is supposed to kind of map uh, the dependencies that they have for uh, water, power, wastewater, uh, any other services, and understand those dependencies to their missions. Um, we are tracking the completion of that as uh, as each of the services move out and, and do that. A lot of these dependencies have been mapped in terms of hey, we get power from here and water from here. That next level down on, well, what kind of systems are they using? Are they still using Windows 7? Are they still using, you know, uh, 20 uh, uh, tenths servers? I mean, so uh, what processes do they have in place to prevent exploitation of their system that could impact us? So those are kind of the next steps that we are beginning to reach out on. Uh, we've asked uh, the services uh, to go do that. And we have teams that when we go to an installation and we might do a cybersecurity assessment, we also would look at that and, and uh, establish those communications. Uh, a lot of the uh, utility services are privatized that are on that support the bases. They're like 40-year uh, contracts. And so uh, we're very familiar with who the folks are and the services they provide. It's, it's making that uh, distinction on, in order to launch this missile, which of those services do I depend? And which of those services have integrated cyber as part of their protection? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And that's, uh, that's going to be a real challenge to, to navigate that between those sides, uh, particularly when you're, you're now getting into contract management and certain cycles, uh, service level agreements, and then, of course, tied to the fact that uh, the DOD's purpose is national security. Uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. And so we do have good partnerships with the Department of Energy and Department of Homeland Security. And, you know, we try and uh, work out uh, with each other the information of what these utilities have, because the Department of Energy has got a, a good handle of uh, what a lot of utilities are doing. And also there are groups that the Department of Homeland Security work with. Um, and, and so we convey what our missions are and what those key components are. And then uh, that's, again, that kind of next step. And then, you know, if there are any vulnerabilities, uh, then we have to kind of work together to figure out, well, is this in scope for the current contract? Does it need to be modified? Who are the best folks to do it? Do we accept the risk? You know, do we wait till uh, the next upgrade, which is six months from now, or is that something we need to fix right away? Uh, you know, one of the things that uh, that occurred, uh, I think it was in January, the uh, the water company in Florida, uh, you know, they had somebody notice someone was uh, was trying to take control and, and modify, uh, you know, the controls and the mixture uh, within their system. So, you know, one of the things we're working on is to ensure that a, a utility like that then notifies, you know, the department. Um, and key stakeholders that, you know, this has happened. 
and then we all work together to do the forensics and uh, make sure that uh, the lessons learned are shared with others because uh, the department has about 500 installations, uh, 250,000 buildings, uh, over 200,000 structures and another 200,000 linear structures. So like a shed or a, uh, a pipeline, all these things uh, typically have something that communicates with something to let it know its status. And so, you know, that's that's been a real fun challenge, getting everybody on board and uh, thinking in terms of security. Uh, you know, I've likened it to we understand safety. We understand typically if we look at something and it almost looks unsafe, we almost have to adopt the same kind of mentality for the folks who are making sure these systems work as to ensure they're secure. And that's been a challenge on, you know, what cyber requirements should we expect of the people who have been normally managing HVACs? Security has different aspects. Part of it is asset inventory. What do I have? Part of it is understanding what's the threat. What kind of threats do you model for DOD and what can you share from what you've seen in the real world? Well, what's the control systems we have in the Department of Defense are the same that are outside the Department of Defense. So, you know, what the Department of Homeland Security uh, puts out, uh, what we learned from the FBI or some other uh, other agencies that collect information on this, uh, and and then whatever can get released, or the public generally sees is that you know these are now control systems are just becoming this target of opportunity um, and as people are learning that they can access them and that they generally don't have security in place i think uh, just the other day there is you know like i mentioned earlier the florida water system there is i think a another water system in nevada i mean they're, they're, we're going to see more and more of these we're going to see ransomware uh, to these systems, just like we're, you know, seeing them in schools and in hospitals. Um, uh, you know, we, we recognize that there are, you know, uh, investments by these, by, you know, a number of the countries, Russia, China, Iran, uh, North Korea, and you know, they have been, you know, doing their best to you know, get a foothold in places uh, that are easy to get to. Uh, you know, one interesting story I heard was, uh, you know, an intelligence analyst was telling me, uh, kind of viewing the different uh, ways in which these countries act. So, for example, uh, imagine your room right now with all the things you see in it, and you walk outside the door, and then um, North Korea has uh, done a cyber uh, attack in your room, you'd open up the door and you'd see spray paint all over everything and stuff knocked over and knocked and knocked around and things like that. You know, everything gets reset, you leave the door and then you come back in and, or you, before you come back in, China had conducted a, uh, a cyber attack. And uh, you open up the door and everything's gone, even the screws and the light switch. Everything's gone. So now you uh, put the room back together, you uh, leave, and then Russia does its cyber attack. 
and you open up the door and you have to recognize uh, that your uh, bottle of Blanton's has been turned, uh, you know, 180 degrees. Now, I don't know if that's exactly the way it is, but that's, you know, those are sort of the things that uh, we try and determine. Again, it helps us determine who uh, might be behind some attacks. Uh, and, you know, everyone's getting better and better as we, as we learn with solar winds of hiding their tracks and making it harder too. Um, but we recognize that everyone's going to try and get into places that are not secure. And uh, you know, a lot of these, uh, almost all these systems that have been designed years ago were not built with security. Uh, I think uh, another interesting example is the Pentagon is going through a renovation of its control systems. It's uh, a couple hundred million dollars and it's going to take 10 years to do. What year do you think uh, the control systems were installed and now are outdated and the vendor doesn't support? If I were to have to guess, I would have probably assumed the 1970s to the 1980s. Well, that's a good guess. And so they were updated since then. And so these were installed in 2001. So now, you know, and... Oh, oh, 9-11, of course. Well, but, but really, even before then, uh, they were already going through their upgrade then. Right. But but to me, I, that's a, a lot. What you said, Bryson, is exactly what I tend to think with a lot of these systems is that they're 40, 50, 60 years old. And, yep, we got to replace them and it's going to cost that. Well, you know, here's an example of these things are just 20 years old, just and the vendor no longer supports them. So you got to rip out an infrastructure and you got to put it back in and then you have to put cyber into it from the design construction and sustainment of this now. And now you've got to have somebody to uh, manage that and uh, be responsible for that. And that's that's kind of like a whole new way. That's what is making this very exciting is we're going to have folks that are in this space smart to understand that what's going on is not uh, a, a regular failure of equipment, but it is something cyber induced. I would like to give a shout out to SANS as uh, I, uh, as as I mentioned earlier, I, I had no idea about any of this stuff. So I uh, went through the certification for the Global Industrial Cybersecurity Professional, uh, and just renewed that. And you know that really opened my eyes on you know all the things to consider, and uh, you know it, that was that was a lot to learn. Uh, just again, it was very exciting. Um, and and right now I'm the only person in the Secretary of Defense's staff that has that certification. That's kind of scary if you think about that out loud. Well, uh, I mean, I'm, uh, my point is, yeah, I think we should have more people to do it. We should have more people who are familiar about this in the space. Uh, we're again, if you have people who've been in the department and in the headquarters positions for 10, 15 years. Typically, they just don't stop what they're doing and learn something new. But that's almost what we're doing with this field. Uh, you know, people who have been, you know, might be working in a traditional CIO shop, somebody is typically going to be tapped on the shoulder to now care about this and champion for it. Uh, and and I think, you know, podcasts like this, um, uh, the uh, 
the Sands Summit, the ICS Village, the Hack the Planet, you know, uh, and others that you guys are, uh, uh, the Hack the City, you know, those are just tremendous events for people to get an appreciation of what's out there, what they should learn, and, and resources. What other kinds of things would you like DOD to do to help achieve that? I mean, at the end of the day, this is supporting mission assurance and our reaction time. So I, 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 I am ex- very excited to see that uh, the vendor community and the innovative industry folks out there are coming up with a number of solutions that can help us uh, identify you know, something trying to probe the network, get on the network, uh, detect it, uh, actually, and provide a response to it, right, and even recover from it. Uh, I think that's great. Uh, however, if we just spent millions of dollars buying all that, we don't have the people who have this competencies, skills, have been in internships or apprenticeships to know how to run all that. And some of it, sure, we could outsource it. Uh, cyber is a service for control systems, right? Certainly. Uh, are we going to do that across the board? No way. I mean, we're not doing that for our IT. We're not doing that for our weapon systems. We're not doing that for you know, our most sensitive uh, networks and things. So we do need, I, I just think, not just the Department of Defense, but all of government and industry, we need to come together and 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 work with academia to get more courses in place that start all the way at the STEM le- STEAM level, you know, when, when you watch kids participate in at that low level, uh, and that's a great awareness, they're still just using Windows machines or uh, and going after each other for, and just like a traditional IT network. How do we get it injected uh, to look at infrastructure type kind of networks? Um, and then, you know, what courses in high school, what courses in college and in uh uh, advanced degrees. Do we get engineers to learn about cyber? Do we get some of the cyber people to learn about engineering and kind of bring those together? And where do we have these places to test and uh, you know, train? You know, do we have cyber ranges that enable this? Um, and, and competitions in this space? Uh, I know that there's, uh, you know, that uh, we now have a cyber competition uh, that uh, we host within the government, uh, but right now most of that stuff is again focused on the IT side. I would really like to see more of it on the control system side. So I think uh, what really would like to see across the board is a focus on uh, training people, promoting this as a as a uh, opportunity, a professional opportunity. Job descriptions need to uh, include uh, control systems, competencies, and uh, more certifications and uh, opportunities to train and get internships. For the capture of the flag, were you talking about the All Army Cyber Stakes competition? Uh, no, there was uh, there was a recent one that's been set up from uh, in 2019. Uh, there was an executive order on workforce cybersecurity that uh, there was a uh, DHS and DOD was hosting a... The President's Cup? The President's Cup, that's correct. Yeah. 
so, and I guess, uh, you know, I'm not going to lie. I think it's good news that uh, we've had some DOD people in the top spots. Um, I think that's great. Uh, I would like to see more than just one competition a year and, uh, again, integrate some of the control systems networks. Um, you know, I, I recently briefed or gave a presentation to George, uh, Washington university and, uh, and Georgetown university. And, you know, you've got folks in there who are now studying, uh, automated vehicles and, you know, I think that's another place kind of a, uh, along the lines of control systems of those communications and making sure that we're focused on protecting those. So, uh, yeah, I think there's no shortage of opportunities for, for folks to learn. I, I think we do need a concerted effort. Uh, and it looks like the potential with this new administration from Ms. Newberger's comments um, recently at the SANS conference, uh, that uh, they're going to work on on some focus in that area. If you could wave a magic non-internet connected wand, what is one thing you would change? Well, if I if I could wave that uh, magic non-internet connected wand, you know, I would I would make control systems cybersecurity on par with IT cybersecurity across the board. Um, and uh, I think that would input, it would impact uh, the workforce, the training, the solutions, uh, how we train for offense, how we train for defense. War game scenarios would include this. Um, funding would uh, be appropriate and match uh, be matched uh, to suit what the requirements were. I think if if we could make just the the concept of control system cybersecurity already accepted and on par as something that you should be paying for, something you should be training for, something you should be working toward uh, with what we've already instituted over the last 20 years with IT, that's what I'd do. All right. You waved your magic wand. You got that. Now, let's look into the crystal ball. Five-year prediction. One good thing and one bad thing that you think will happen? So uh, let me address what I think the bad thing would be. So I think we're going to see, um, you know, despite investments and despite, despite uh, technology, we're going to see some ransomware uh, on some of these uh, critical infrastructure systems. And I think people are going to get hurt. Things are going to stop operating. Things are going to explode. And, and there's going to be some serious consequences and and i think worse would be if it's not even malicious right if it's somebody went out to try and do something and thought they could you know scare somebody by coming close to creating chaos but then it just kind of spills away because they don't understand the full breadth of the operation or what's involved with the engineering so i'm concerned you know from a bad thing that we're going to see uh, some really adverse consequences from uh, folks messing around in this infrastructure space. Uh, the really good thing is I, I, I just am so excited with what I see on the industry side. Uh, a, a lot of these tools and techniques, they're being uh, either converted or modified that, you know, we've 
learned, had a great deal of learning from, from the IT and cyber side. We're pulling them over. And then there's just whole new ways of thinking about how do we secure these systems. Um, so I'm very excited that we're going to have some tools that are going to be very effective in being able to identify and, and either stop or give us the heads up so that we could wind down a system and uh, bring it back up and recover in a way that is not uh, adverse. So I, so I think those are, those are two there. All right, grab back. Anything you would have liked us to cover that you want to talk about? Well, I, w- I would like to know from, like your, from your perspective, from what you think industry's perspective is, what do you think they need from the Department of Defense? What do we need? Because uh, I, I'll give a short story. So. Uh, We've we've been in some discussions with industry and other departments, and it would be well if if we have a big cyber attack. When when are you going to call the Department of Defense? And a lot of the folks uh, in natural gas companies, utilities, um, other agencies, like well, we're really not going to call you because uh, we know our systems better than you do. And then we say, oh, well, that's kind of surprising. Well. What if there's a major event in Baltimore and a major event in uh, Washington, D.C.? Well, you know, that's pretty getting pretty close. We, uh, we still think we might be able to handle that. We'd like you to be ready, but, but we think we can handle that. Oh, well, what if something happens in Savannah and in Washington, D.C. and in New York City? Oh, we're going to need you then. You know, there's there is this. I think in the beginning of standing up a U.S. Cyber Command um, and 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 training a bunch of forces, that you know the Department of Defense was going to come in and rescue every issue that happened in in the United States. And we're not set up to do that. We're not trained to do that. Uh, what we are is, you know, defending uh, our critical assets, our war fighting assets, and to ensure that we're able to, uh, you know, wage diplomacy when needed. So I, I think that's that was uh, kind of enlightening to learn, uh, as a lot of people initially thought that the Department of Defense would be called in to fix everything. Yeah, I think that's that certainly ties to a policy level understanding and thinking. Um, when you first asked me that question, I was thinking more tactically. Uh, I mean, I work in research and development, and I think that's an area where the DOD requirements uh, can help drive a lot of this change where we need it at a broader scale. And then again, with everything being interconnected at all of these levels, including in critical infrastructure, uh, that DOD has a leadership position if they wanted it. Uh, certainly. And, you know, a lot of, you know, the, the stuff that we need to be able to do is we need to be able to uh, use cyber as a weapon. And, you know, that's kind of a unique thing that we develop and we train to do. Um, one of the things that, you know, has been, I'm sure there are a lot of folks who are really good and excel at that. At the same time, we need to develop cyber as a def- for defense, right? Um you know, a lot of times there'll be so there'll be a defensive uh, the DoD conference, and day one will be offensive tools and techniques, and day two will be defense. And you know, I get invited to speak on day two, and 
uh, day one, it's standing room only. And day two, there's a tumbleweed that goes across my podium uh, because there's just not that much excitement. And uh, there was this there's this challenge of who's going to pay for it. You know, are your facility people whose uh, accounts have been essentially, you know, postponed for eight years of doing maintenance uh, to pay for the cyber securing of these HVACs and other utility systems? Or is it going to be the IT budget, which, you know, didn't budget for these non-IT systems? Or does there need to be a separate pot of money uh, designated specifically for it? Who should pay for it? Should there be a set aside for mitigations? I, I don't know about you. Uh, we're we're all supposed to have a rainy day fund in case something breaks in the house, breaks in the car, or breaks in your life. Well, when we go out and do assessments at places, we will find vulnerabilities, and a lot of times we did not have a complete set aside budget to pay for all these mitigations. So we. You know, spend a lot of time figuring out, prioritizing, and, and getting the most important ones done first, uh, which you know everyone would do. But you know, in the grand scheme of things, is there, you know, something that should be set aside from a overarching policy level to fix things? Uh, you know, that's that's certainly an option worth worth considering. Well, look at that one, one little simple question that you mostly directed at me, and we ended up getting a whole lot more out of it. <laughs> All right. I do. I am. You know, I really do want uh, to know, you know, what what does industry think they need from DOD? Right. I mean, and I mean, I get I get your point of helping drive some of the R&D. And I've been in a lot of some conversations where they're like, uh, well, we need you to tell us what the bad guys are doing. No, you don't No, I, That I don't agree with. And the the. Innovation tied to priorities is always helpful. Um, I think I think where you were getting that, and this is what I was trying to talk about earlier with the, there really is a natural requirement for public and private collaboration. And I think we as a country are grappling with that on a larger level already with what happened with something like solar winds and then the exchange attack where uh, our adversaries are using the asymmetric benefit of being able to cause massive amounts of economic disruption and loss with no no clear penalty. And it, I, I mean, I, I personally have been saying this for years, that the soft underbelly of the United States is the private industry and our economy. And sure enough, guess what's being hit? That's where this has now started to take this toll. And this is the kind of thing where 50 to 60 years ago, it would have been very natural for DOD to have had a presence in that because the way that would have been done would have been through a kinetic effect. Somehow, when we go into computers, and uh, I don't know. Right. No, that's that's a, a great point. Uh, you know what, what? You know, one of the things I find very interesting is, and I really loved the uh, when I had the opportunity to get in front of audiences, and I would just ask, "Okay, we're having a war game here." Well, left side against the right side. Who's going to go after the hardened IT systems first? You know, and then you always have one person raise their hand because, you know, they're smarter than everybody else. And then I said, well, who's going to go after the control systems of the other side first? And like everybody raises their hand. So if this is what we know intuitively without any training from the Department of Defense that we're going to go after that soft underbelly you're talking about, 
why aren't we making this more of a priority? Why aren't we asking how well we're doing defending it? How well we're doing resourcing it from tools, processes, and uh, people? All right. Well, Daryl, thank you very much for joining me today. I really appreciate the opportunity, Bryson. This is great. Thank you for listening to Hack the Plant, a podcast of the R Street Institute and ICS Village Nonprofit. Subscribe to the podcast and share it with your friends. Even better, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts so we can reach even more listeners. Tell us what you thought about it and who we should interview next by finding us on Twitter at RSI or at ICS underscore village. Finally, if you want to know more about R Street or ICS Village, visit rstreet.org or icsvillage.com. I'm your host, Bryson Borg. Thank you to executive producer Tyler Lowe of Fader Creative, creative producer William Gray, and editor Dominic Sterrett of Sterrett Productions.